going to be reading from you to you from Luke 5, 27 through 32. And this, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to them, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And uh, we come to the end of our sermon series on the art of neighboring. And um, I hope this journey has encouraged most of us to live a more outwardly face life with our neighbors, with those we live around in our workplace, or streets, or subdivisions, or classrooms. This week, we look at the fear factor, as in the fear of opening our homes and lives to and even going into the spaces of those who don't share the same faith and values as many of you do. But in a city like Charlotte, where evangelical institutions are among the largest industries in the city, the fear factor is not just about church people's fears of unbelievers, but their fear of Christians and church people which puts the ability and call to be good neighbors with everyone at an impasse, right? We are often afraid of them and all the awkwardness and rejection, and they are afraid, whoever they are, are afraid of us. So we keep our private lives private and our faith in Jesus out of most of our interactions. And here's the irony. The one person in the one subject, Jesus and the gospel, that is most responsible for our discomfort, most responsible for feeling like he's pushing us to be all loving to our neighbors, is at the same time also the one person in the gospel, the one thing that will bring the necessary confidence and connection and love where fear has kept us at bay and has kept us locked away from being intentional with our neighbors. Three things for those who like to take notes, right? Three things about Jesus and the gospel I want us to see when it comes to the fear factor. First point, Jesus seeks the others. Jesus seeks those I would describe as the others. Secondly, Jesus wants others who seek others, right? He wants others who seek others. And finally, Jesus himself calls everyone. Jesus calls everyone. In the early 2000s, many of you know, a game show called Fear Factor broke on the scene. And it became uh, one of the most watched uh, uh, game shows ever as contestants for, I think, a $50,000 grand prize would eat, lie down in, 
be covered up in, jump over and around the scariest, most grotesque, skin-crawling creatures, substances, foods, and, if you call it food, and situations. Y'all remember they would do stuff like eating live worms and laying in a tub of roaches or having rats or mice thrown on you for that cash prize. I think the show was canceled in 2006, and apparently it was recently revived a couple years ago on MTV that used to play music videos, for those old enough who know that. We didn't even have a TV show on that thing, and it actually went off at midnight. Okay. But now they have celebrity hosts, one of my favorites, Luda, Chris. Well, oh yeah, I know I'm old, Okay when your favorite rap artist is now a host of a TV show, you owe. (laughs) Well, over 2,000 years ago, our, let's call him divine host, Jesus, started his own version of Fear Factor. Did y'all know that? Jesus, in inviting people into the gospel life, was not seeking the worst food, no, or not necessarily have, you know, bugs crawling in and out of your mouth, but worse for some of us. Having those we describe as the others coming in and out of our lives, homes, conversations, invading us, and us submitting and put our, putting our, ourselves in the mess of other people's lives. The fear factor is real because Jesus seeks the others, some of the most despised and decrepit to be with him and thus to be with all of us and us with them. Verse 27 that was read, let's reread it here, says this. uh, It says, after this, he went out, that's Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. The Bible tells us Levi made a great feast in his house. There was a large company of tax collectors and others, there's that word, reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, mind you, this interaction with Levi, we also know him as who? Matthew, for you Bible scholars. As in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he wrote Matthew, right? Matthew, it it, it happens, this happens after, if you look at the chapter ahead, you don't have it in your reading, after Jesus goes through and heals lepers and crippled people. And, And here, you see that he goes from seeking out crippled people to crooked people, right? From seeking lepers to social leeches. The Bible says that Jesus, if you look carefully at the language here, that he went out. Y'all say went out. Went out. That's old school right there. Some of y'all a little quick on the draw. Y'all say went out. All right. That means Jesus went out possibly when it was best And most people stay in, right? He was inside the gates. He was inside a safe place. Better to stay with those he was already with and not out there. 
But the Bible tells us that Jesus goes there. He goes out there. And the Bible says he saw a tax collector. Now, whenever it says Jesus saw somebody, it's never an accident. The language shows intentionality on Jesus' part. He purposely went out looking for something and for someone. And if we were to do some verbal, what I like to think in my mind's eye, as verbal arithmetic, went out plus saw means Jesus went out seeking. He didn't just go out, oh, who's that over there? No. Jesus went out seeking, looking for others, looking for someone who was different than him. He, he went seeking, and this was not the first or last, last time, and he continues through the Gospels to seek the others and do, and who do we mean by the others? Those who were, why does it say go out? He, that he came out or went out? Those who were on the outs in society. Those who you don't go see. Those who you put over there so you don't have to look at them or talk to. Those types that despise and put out by society. And Levi, as a tax collector, was squarely in that group. As a tax collector, he was the biggest traitor and sellout and leech in the community. He was a Jew who worked for the man, who was used by Rome to squeeze the Jews, the people of God, often most of them poor, to, to squeeze the oppressed. He was sent to take money from his own people for the oppressor. He did not show the love of neighbor or God in his job description. He had a love for self and money. He was a blight on society. This is the abuser. This is a neighborhood drug dealer, the exploiter of his own people for his good. He was hated. If this was an episode of Fear Factor, he would be a rat. He would be a roach. He'd be a snake. And Jesus goes out looking, y'all, and seeking that. He went out looking for him, for them, for those, the scariest, most discomforting to us in whatever way they can be to us. And Jesus, the gospel, is all about seeking others who may be despised and diseased. Look, when the Pharisees complain here and criticize Jesus and his disciples for hanging with sinners and tax collectors, from a social and moral standpoint, they're accurately and, and, and correctly assessing the situation, right? There is a reason we have exterminators, right? And why Fear Factor, the show, was so crazy. Rats bite, right? I'm figuring I don't want to find out. And, and they carry disease and snakes on the surface. They look kind of venomous. And spiders and bugs can sting and stick on you and leave all kinds of bacterially devastating waste in their wake. The people described here, including Levi, are the morally diseased, are the relationally diseased, right? They're the kind that Chris Rock said, well, you invite to the party and they steal your stuff while they're there. That's as far as I'm going with that one. They Debo. I'm too old, see? Check your chain, tuck it in. When he leave, then you talk again. They're bullies. 
They, they, they're spreaders of what is bad and bring down property values. And those you invite over after the kids are in bed. They may participate in behaviors and hang with people that bring you down and scare most people. I realize that most of you, but let me, let me carefully close. I realize that most of you live in pre, pretty uh, nice neighborhoods or decent neighborhoods, and you found a way to be around pretty neat people just like you. But these are people who you may be afraid, even in your neighborhood, who, 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 that you'd be afraid would, would not, not that they would rip your leather couch or vape in front of your kids or say things and promote that will put, you know, all the things you've tried not to do. But maybe they come in and cloud things with their own values. Maybe they tempt your kids and spouse in what you consider the wrong ways. Don't be hanging out with him, right? They might be beautiful and desirous, in the wrong way. They may be attractive in a way that you may fear will draw you or those you love away. They may have the family of kids you don't want your kids hanging out with. Sinners and tax collectors, right? This was a big deal here. I'm trying to make it a big deal for you right? Or, or their wife being around your husband, right? Or any combination you could imagine. I don't want her around. You don't need to be around her, right? Jesus seeks and brings in and goes out to those who are ironically not very good for the faith and community and hope he calls church people too. It hit me. Jesus, the gospel, church, Christianity, ready? Is not about creating a safe place and people behind a fence and a wall from the others. Let me say it again. Jesus, the gospel, that we've made a, a moral wall now, right? There, there is no border security in Christianity. Right? There is no documentation or non-documentation that can keep you out. Right? It, it doesn't work like that. Christianity is not contrary to popular belief, about creating a safe place and people and fence and wall from others. But hear this, but a safe and redeeming and healing place and people for others. From, no, for, yes. Because here's the trippy thing, right? He isn't seeking and calling it others to be with him but, but to be all up in our lives, right? And we all up in their lives. Jesus always, when you look at the scripture, he's always rolling deep with all kinds of people into our lives. Look again at verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Let's shorthand this real quick to make clear what point Luke is reporting and he's trying to make about Jesus with Levi. When it says in verse 28 that Levi left everything and followed him, it meant Levi 
became a follower of Jesus. He was converted. And we'll get back to that a little later. But look carefully. Levi left what? It says everything. Everything except what? Look at verse 28. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company, right? Levi's company, right? Of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled at the disciples because they saw what they, what they could see with their eyes. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Right? He left his former life behind, meaning he left what was driving his life, what was stopping him from being Jesus's and following Jesus. But he did not leave his friends behind. He didn't leave his associates behind after he became a follower of Jesus. Right? He may have left the behavior of his associates behind, right? The life of his associates behind, but he didn't leave them behind. As a matter of fact, he was not afraid for them to meet his new Lord and for his new Lord to meet them. And he set it up. He threw not just a finger food and two liter drinks. No, he threw a great feast. He didn't say bring some chips, right? He just had them over and he paid for everything. He threw a full dinner party. They partied back big back then, y'all. And he invited all his friends and neighbors and acquaintances that were now other to his new life, but continue to be loved as neighbors, as his co-workers and friends, as part of his new life. This isn't the old life. This is the new life because he's invited people from his old life into the new life with his new Lord as center person. Jesus wants others who seek and bring others. Who will keep and seek those who are spiritually and morally outside of their new lives uh, in Jesus. And here's the crazy things. Think somehow, don't know how and when it happened and how we live our faith when we become believers, being a part of the new community and family of faith, that's real, y'all. That's strong. You should be in a new family of faith. You should have new brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles because we all have a new father and brother in Christ, right? But somehow we have become afraid. Sometimes more afraid of expanding our life in a way that includes those who we used to hang out with or continue to live if Jesus hadn't sought us out. That's the way to think about it. What and who you fear you would be or become or used to be without Jesus in your life. That's who you fear the most. Yourself without Christ and who Jesus and the faith is asking you to seek out and draw and bring and invite in. That means sometimes you get into the tank with the roaches you ran from. No, no worse than that. You don't get in the tank. You pour the tank out and let them scurry and hide and get all in the walls of your life. All in your schedule. We talked about this last week. All in your plans. All in the vision, perfect vision for your life. 
with much of what you know and fear, they will bring, oh, they're going to be a pain. It's going to take time. Okay, can we talk about that Jesus, that God thing? Oh, no, I already told you. Here we go. Are they going to light up? Please, I'm going to have to say, don't light up around me. I can't smoke that right now. I can't smell that right now. Please, but I want to hang with you, right? We got to go through that. Even if it's putting you on the spot and exposing you and cornering you in your introvert tendencies. And for some of you, in the shame of being a new believer or an old believer. Sometimes I'm ashamed. Yes. Yeah, I do this for a living. And when I go home, sometimes I wish I didn't. Oh, that's the Jesus man over there. Oh, Lord. I meet my new, but hey, we heard you were a pastor. Oh, great. I'll never get invited to the party, right? Not that party. Because what they think. They know I'm going to come in there and just judge all of them. They don't know me. I'm going to have me a good time at the party. I might be the life of the party. And, that, and let me ask you to tell you, this is not the same thing as, as asking you to return to your former way of living. And I got to warn some of y'all, or do missionary dating. Y'all know better. I'm going to love him so well. We're going to be married. He's coming to Christ. Right? I'm just, just going to keep dating, and maybe even if I marry him, it'll get better. No, it ain't get... I tell people marriage counseling... You know, so there comes a point, Kelly and I used to do premarital counseling for people who were married, and we would say, you see that person right there? That's, just, just go ahead and accept. That may be the best they get right there. <laughs> There's no promise they're going to get better. I'm like, look at them right there. That is the best. You might get, they're on their best behavior, especially in the dating times. It ain't getting no better. Three months later, you're going to find out it ain't no better. 20 years later, oh my gosh, you'll find out it ain't no better. Now the relationship, thank God for grace, might learn to live in love together. But even in that, no guarantee the person any better, right? They're struggling with the same stuff. Oh, my Lord. Can you just love me the way I am? No, you got to change. <laughs> anyway, that was a little excursion. <laughs> Let me just say y'all know better. But this is called a bring your neighbors and friends and family, as I said, into your new life. And hear and here this. Jesus did this to you, didn't he? He brought you out of your life to just beg you and knock on your door in your schedule, in your lives, in your deep insecurities and desires to be saved and left alone and secure, knocking at the door with a party of what and who scare you, 
right? Listen, it ain't me. It ain't the art of neighboring program of our church, right, asking you to do it. This is Jesus who lives in your heart and his ministry and how he does things. That is bringing the fear factor stuff, but who is bringing others who are broken and separated from the love of God. He never intended for you to leave your ministry to others behind when you became a believer, It was always a call to get into the fear factor life with him because of him, driven and called by him. But it is one thing to collide with or actually come up on a bug or snake. But what Levi does, hear this, out of his reaction to his new relationship with Jesus, he actually said, come in, y'all. Welcome, folks, into this relationship, my relationship with Jesus. Levi wanted, as I look at the story, if we were to rewrite this story, if Levi wanted to improve his, improve, his, improve his reputation and prove he was a follower of Jesus with the critics around him, what would he do? Come on, he would condemn and reject those people that he used to be and would be without Jesus, but invites them into his new life. Same old people, new life. Old fears, new life. Where does the audacity and boldness of face his fears? To add more scrutiny of those who already hated him. To welcome and open the door to Jesus and these others to hang out together. To mix oil and water and sugar and salt all up. Levi is not afraid. Because he's living out and in the freedom. The freedom of his new life. Verse 27 and 28 says this. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Here's the irony again. The old life meant, actually meant, being afraid and separated from the good people. Did you hear that? The old life was about being afraid and separated from the good people and being one of the others. Hear this now. Fear and not being able to unselfishly love others. Hear me. Fear and wanting to be separate and not being able to unselfishly love others is a result of sin and not and never should be a product of your relationship with Jesus. Boundaries to loving others for your moral code. I'm not talking about the gospel. I'm not talking about holiness. Holiness and the gospel are not necessarily congruent with moral living. One of the most moral places ever been was Salt Lake City, Utah. Man, the Mormons, the Buddhists, they way more moral than Christians. They don't even talk sometimes. Right? We talk too much, right? Like, they good. Their city's clean, right? They get rid of all their bad kids and put them in one part of the whole city. It's great. Separation like that doesn't equal relationship with Jesus. It it equals continual bondage to some sort of self-righteous sin. 
Levi's leaving, not only his old life, but he is leaving what would keep good people, hear me, separated from bad people. He's leaving a life that would keep him secure and comfortable by keeping those away from him that would make his life and drive for life secure and comfortable. That's why he was on the outs as a tax collector. No one would reach out to him. How then can coming to Jesus make us long for security and comfort and righteousness and goodness and holiness and not being bothered or disturbed in the way we want to live? How can that be Jesus-like when everything Jesus came to do was to be drawn out of our old life into a new life, and yet we Christians, when it comes to staying away from others, living in fear are no different. We have rejected the change and call to others. Hear this. If Jesus is Lord and leading and living, It moves us like it kind of leans us to having an open life and welcome in all kind of potential fear factor people. That's what it looks like when we follow him. For some of you, man, if you like me, you know, I've been a Christian for hmm, 35, 36, 37 years. When I first got saved, I was excited. I was telling all my friends. I wasn't afraid. Then I got comfortable. I was kind of embarrassed of Jesus, either embarrassed of him, but you know what I think it was more of? I kind of started to like the comfortable life I thought Jesus was giving me. Like this new prosperity gospel where blessing is God putting you in a safe neighborhood, right? Where you you have the privilege of moving away from those people, right? Where you can live in the moral majority, right? Where you are safe. And I did, trust me, I was like part of that whole kind of moral, Christian, right-wing, conservative kind of thing. And I thought, I'm in the kingdom now. The kingdom looks like being good and getting away from those people and hoping we could create policies, right, public policy to keep my good life going. I don't look nothing like Jesus. I ain't never seen him. The publicans, the policymakers think, say, Jesus, you're so awesome. I never said that. You know what they said? Your public policy and politics sucks. It's terrible. It's terrible. You messing every his own disciples. This is dumb. Quit hanging out with these people. These people are going to put you on the cross. I'm telling you. Y'all remember Jesus Christ Superstar? In the, in the play, G- Judas was right. Jesus, you can be a superstar. Quit hanging with these people. Just go with the move. You can get public office if you just do it this way. But instead, you want to love Levi's and hang out with all his friends. 
Remember right before going out to Levi, Jesus was miraculously healing people, y'all. We kind of like that part. Lepers and crippled. Looking at, look after healing people physically, right? Look after, after healing people physically relegated to live outside of the community because of their sickness. Levi is described in a similar way. Wait, look at how he's described here. In verse 27, it says, after this, he went out and saw a task collector, Levi. What's the next word? Sitting at the tax booth. And he said, follow me and leaving everything. What's the next word? He rose and followed him. Jesus has to go out to him. And he was what? Sitting at the booth. And he rose again, like the Bible says, and followed Jesus. For you who read the Bible enough, this should sound very familiar. This is the way it goes and sounds when a crippled person is healed. They're sitting and laying outside of the town where people are afraid to go and touch them. And Jesus touches them. And the Bible says over and over, they rise. They get up and are able to walk in new life. Jesus heals crippled, as I said earlier, and crooked people in their hearts and lives and direction and reasons for living. In the last verse, Jesus explains it this way. When the Pharisees criticize him. And Jesus answered the Pharisees, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not called, come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. One of the greatest fears is that people will come into our lives or we will go out to people who will be too hard or too dangerous or too diseased to handle for our idiosyncrasies. And guess what? You are right. You don't have the power to heal them or help them. You can't be holy enough or righteous enough to give them what they need or be all they need for them not to be dangerous or diseased to you themselves or your way of living. But Jesus, the one in your life that made and gave you new life does have the power to do it for them. Now you see why Levi is not afraid now to flood his life with all kinds of crooked people. He is resting and moving in the power and person of Jesus who is able to handle everything and anything he or anybody else could be afraid of. All insecurities, all twistedness, all moral diseases, all kinds of brokenness. And how does he no longer fear all of those who are part of his old life or a threat to his new life or used to be like him? Because he is not the same person because of the power of Jesus. And as he knows that and lives in that and that truth is alive in him, it encourages him to live, encourages Levi to open his life and draw people not to him. His life is limited. He might get mad if somebody breaks something in this house, right? He might get mad if someone smokes some weed in there. He might get mad, but he's not the one. His, his limitations are not the one. The thing that he's looking at, he's looking and drawing people to the power of Jesus, the same power that made him rise and leave everything behind. Some of you have heard the old school song that has a line, if he did it for me, he can do it for you. Here's the hard part. Maybe the reason we're afraid is either Jesus really hasn't done it in our lives yet. You're just moral. You're just a churchgoer. 
It's just good. Let me tell you, Christianity is a great place to go. Like, it's got great philosophies and theories. And you can go by mental ascent. Like, you could just have the teaching of Jesus up here, but it hasn't gotten here. And in a city like Charlotte and the Bible Belt, it's easy. Here's a whole crowd. It's, it's, the percentages are dropping, though. Here's a whole crowd of people going to church and you just walking in, right? You're not really one of them. Or you don't think you're that bad, right? Maybe we really don't think our lives needed as much help as the others, as those folk, because we weren't as bad when Jesus came in. We were great candidates for Jesus. We already were moral. Grandmama went to church. You know, we did our thing and went to the campus ministry. We, 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 we pretty good. Like the Pharisees, we have diversified the need for Jesus as in really bad and then not so bad. We have forgotten or maybe mistaken that we, like Levi, were sat down in our sin, stuck there, trapped in the booth of a lifestyle and would be on the outs with God's holiness unless Jesus in his power and love came to us and called us by name and with power, resurrection power, he said to our lives, rise. That we were all dead in our sin and he had to raise us up even if we were sitting in a good job, that don't matter. Or sitting in a pretty good marriage or even sitting in our sexual purity because we weren't sexually as broken as others or we were sitting in a booth of being accomplished or better than our family. We are not like our brothers or sisters or parents sitting in a booth of being pretty moral people, whatever, or, or making a good salary or just being a good person or in the booth of being comfortable. Whatever it was, like Levi, who was doing pretty good for himself, we were all dead in our sins. Regardless how, how nice your coffin looks. Regardless of how nice our coffin looks. Or how good we look embalmed with sin. Jesus had to use the same power to raise you as any or everyone else. In fact... If you were good, Jesus needed, I mean, Jesus used more grace to save you good people. Because <laughs> if you know you're broken, <laughs> thank you, Jesus, I'm inviting all my friends. But if you think you're good, Jesus is patient with you. Like the Pharisees did back then in keeping people separate from Jesus, maybe your Phariseeism, the ways you have justified yourself and your fears of others thinking you are better, ironically, have not brought you closer to holiness and Jesus, but pushed you and me further away. Maybe we don't invite people to Jesus because he's not as close to us or we don't think we need him that much. Maybe we don't want people coming in because they'll see how bad we are. The facade and show will fall apart in their eyes. But if it happens, you know what they'll see? The power of Jesus. 
that upholds and calls you and me out of fear and out of darkness. In verse 30, we see what the Pharisees did. And the Pharisees and the scribe grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Fear was their tool in keeping so-called holy people from unholy people. And I think that fear exists today. The voices within and without that say this will disturb your life, they will hurt you, they will expose you, they will take advantage of you because you are not good enough, full enough, holy enough, cool enough, pretty enough, or you too good or too much or too busy for them. But here's the deal. The holiest one, of that, one at that party was Jesus. God in the flesh, which tells us that this, fear might keep us away from God's holiness and others from being changed from him, but it is, it is his love that draws us to him. The Pharisees and others hated Levi, hated him. But Jesus in going out to him, calling him to a relationship was saying, I see that you are, I see what you are and aren't, and I still want you, Levi. Levi, you don't scare me. I have decided to love you instead of making you afraid of me or me somehow being afraid of you and what you will do to my reputation and my holiness as Jesus. In fact, invite them all. I, Jesus, am not afraid of the broken. I have more than enough love for all the broken you can ever be or bring to me as you already know and have experienced by how I've loved you. We all have fears of Jesus sending us out or bringing people in. Do you remember and see, especially us believers that have been walking with the Lord a while, that it was his love for you that you're here right now in him? Not how perfect you are or what you, he thought you could be or whether you would even be good at the art of neighboring. <laughs> his love for you was on the front end before you ever did anything good for him on the back end of the relationship. Knowing that will not take the fear away, but break the power of the fear factor over us. Let me close with this. The reason people would be willing to humiliate themselves in those fear factor games was for the prize. The cash prize, $50,000. I remember one episode, though, a fear factor, when one dude was about to be thrown into a tub of rats. And he was, and I'm paraphrasing, he, he said something like, no, uh-uh. I grew up with rats. I had to live with rats. I had no choice because we was poor. I escaped that way of life. I ain't going back. I don't care whether y'all give me 100000 I am not humiliating myself for, for what? Y'all can have and keep your money. I'm higher than that. And he walks off the set. He's like, mm-mm, mm-mm. I've been humiliated enough in my life. Nope. Do 
You know the prize for you and me to face and welcome our fears when it comes to reaching out to our neighbors, our fear of being introverted and not bothered, our fear of being diseased or damaged or overrun with just another burdensome, clinging, expectation-laden, disappointing, possibly experiencing more rejection, we fear, relationship. We are like, man, no way. I got away from all of that, and Jesus sort of helped me and gives me permission now to stay away. I'm comfortable in my faith. It ain't worth that kind of intrusion. The Pharisees were right in wondering, why would Jesus humiliate himself like that? Why would he ruin his reputation? As a great Bible teacher, why would he enter into such insecurity? Because all of the people in relationship with, uh, with others that ever walked with Jesus had the greatest reason to fear, right? Because to enter our lives, to heal us, to be with us, to redeem and save us, a call to repentance, a life change, for us to know the love of God and hang out with God, for all others to be in his family, you know, it would cause him to face and experience our greatest fears. Jesus was humiliated, beaten, rejected by everyone he hoped would love him, turned away by his own father, he died because he welcomed sinners to himself. He was killed in his family, in his family relationship. His with his father was completely torn apart. He was covered in the most grotesque sin and suffering and all the worst and excremental about everything about us on the cross. Why? Because the prize of having you and me and all others was worth it to him. You were worth his humiliation. You were worth not only the fear factor, but him going in and being destroyed by everything we fear. As we leave today, I want you to tell yourself your story. Take time to write down who and how you would be without Christ. Look at all the ways you think you are good or better outside of Jesus and repent for that. And then write down the names of friends and family you are afraid of getting mixed up with and why. Begin praying out loud that Jesus would be the owner and love for them that you're supposed to have for them, right? Pray, Lord Jesus, Remind me of your great love for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. We've made our faith a place of personal comfort, social and moral comfort in a way that excludes others from knowing you and the new life you've given us. I pray that you would change us by helping us remember that for the prize of us, for the prize of those who would ruin your reputation as Jesus, you died. Lord, we thank you that for the joy set before you, the prize of us being yours, you faced our fears and triumphed. Lord, I do pray that you would raise us to new life for those of us who've been just walking along morally, 
using the faith as a shield of our self-righteousness. Just mentally going along with it. I pray that you would, like you did, Levi, seek us out, Lord. Raise us up. Help us to leave everything, including our pride, including our fears, to follow you. As we finish this art of neighboring, I pray that you'd help us to be creative. Help us like Levi, Lord, to throw a great feast because the guest of honor is Jesus Christ. Jesus, please, once again, for those of us who've it's just gotten old and we, 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 we've just assumed so much, breathe fresh wind into us. Holy Spirit, come and minister the love and grace of Jesus in us and through us and to us all over again and again and again. Help us to be appreciative of the love of Jesus for us. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.